Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. So, like, last night, I'm performing for ten people in Adirondack chairs, you know, with my band, and Mosquito flies right into my face. And former in you, that's like, I'm a tough musician, I've, you know, played through a lot, I'm gonna keep playing. And then there's like, I'm playing for ten people in Adirondack chairs, most of them are on their phone. I'm gonna stop playing. I'm gonna slap this mosquito on my face in front of everybody. Yeah. And that's what I did. I, yeah? Uh, yeah, it's 2020. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you gotta, you know, it adds to the, the timbre a little bit there. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, as long as you slap the mosquito on time, I think it's uh, acceptable for your performance. Yeah, do you think you can like sample that and add it into the set? I really think so. You know, it's just like a, zzz, zzz, you know, it's uh, you, you could you could make something out of that. It's it's all it's yeah. All, it's I all mean, tone. Queen did it. It's all tone, you know. For sure, for sure. Yeah, um, how how are you with mosquitoes? I think there's like, you know, definitely different types of people seem to attract them, and then. Like, cause I, I can be in a group of people and I'm the only one that gets bitten. Does that happen to you? Are you one of those people or is, is that just me? That's my life story, I would say. I'm always the friend that had all the mosquito bites all over them. And I heard like so many myths <laughs> where it's like, you know, the ones where they're saying like, oh, well, it's your blood type. Or, yeah. Oh, it's because you talk too much. And I always mm -hmm. found that kind of insulting. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yeah, it's not good. I'm a light sleeper, and so when there's a mosquito in my room, you know, making noise, and I'm just kind of <laughs> wide awake, terrified because I can't fall asleep. It's like kind of like, you know, I'll stay up and hunt them. And then I got really good at throwing my um, my slide at it. So I'll take right, the slides off and that. kind of like, yeah, I'll kind of just like tactical, you know, repel my, my uh, slide right at them and then nail mm -hmm. them. So my aim's getting better. 
But uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't like mosquitoes. I don't like mosquitoes. Yeah, I think the most troubling thing about being outside, unfortunately, is insects and bugs. Like, yeah. I had a very nice hike with Allison a couple weeks ago. Get back in the car. What's that I see on my ankle? A tick. I go to shower later. What do I find all over me? Ticks. It's just, it is actual, actual hell for me. The reality of uh, the, the fact that we just happen to occupy a planet ruled by arthropods. See, Zan, this is why I don't go outside, and <laughs> I don't have to deal with it. And it makes everything so much easier. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to go on these trips where we are isolated. We are not around people that are going to be sneezing on us and that we could be unwittingly transmitting diseases to. You know, we keep doing these things like camping trips uh, or you know, road trips, hikes, all these outings, trying to be, you know, a good couple in a Subaru like we are. But we seem to unwittingly keep ending up in situations where I am being bitten by so many bugs. Uh, our, our camping trip ended with me literally having welts all over my body, and she was fine, but... <laughs> untouched oh no it was like you were it, the one you it was a target. cloud it was like it was like pig pen from charlie brown you know he's just like like <gasps> oh no unstoppable swarms of noceums i fucking hate florida Anyways, yeah yeah so joe you're probably wondering what we're doing in this jungle yeah, I mean, uh, I have all these bug bites now, so I guess I'm mm -hmm. that friend. Yeah, but... well, you should have brought off, like me, and, you know, that's why I have this this very nice aroma to try and keep them away. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess uh, my homeopathic uh, bug spray did not work. Oh, oh, really? Wow. Yeah, I was trying. I, I um, made one with a base of honey. Oh. Um, and so that way, yeah, I read on a forum that if you if you get honey and you mix um, some vinegar in it, it makes a, such a horrible smell because they do not go together that the bugs will actually just leave you alone. So yeah. that's a fun one. I mean, I, I really do love the logic of homeopathy, you know, because, like, I guess honey comes from insects. Mm hmm And then you're using that to repel insects. But that makes is sense. so different from the logic that injecting yourself with a strain of a weakened virus would make your immune system uh be able to defend yourself from that virus so it's well see no see that's too far that's too far mm, okay that's too much yeah it's not the same yeah well speaking of bullshit um as as we <laughs> as we wander through this this jungle um t tell tell me what you think about this uh this, this dinosaur skeleton we've just found um you know beautifully mounted uh for everyone to see Wonder, wonderfully uh, constructed uh, sauropod mount. No label, but here it is in the middle of this jungle. What, what are your thoughts? Well, I guess my first thoughts are, how did it end up here, and how did we even come upon it? Because it seems like it's just been sort of put on display here in what I would assume would have been a natural habitat for it. And then also just its structure and how we're going about perceiving the bones and the grooves within it the color the off kind of white yellowish tone of decaying bone marrow it's very fascinating to me can you tell us a little bit more about it oh yeah i can tell you all about it it's fake 
Oh. D- did you want to know more? I mean, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess this is my this is my struggle as well as I think a lot of other science and history minded people's struggle of how do we talk about fake things in the museological world because we should definitely tell people how to spot fake things but how do we do that in such a way that we expose people we are trying to let's say inoculate people to fake history and uh false information uh while not exposing them to the parts that they they could then succumb to it that they could then you know start believing in young earth creationism yeah i mean it's a complicated thing uh unfortunately and it sort of seems to be amazing how many objects and artifacts you kind of put on display as sort of the, the, the real thing like in this case where i walked in here i thought this was it i was like oh cool a new discovery i didn't know about this dinosaur i don't know much about dinosaurs so i guess that would explain why but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's it's something where i think it comes into question a lot i mean especially with things being mislabeled and sort of sold as other objects i think we see this a lot throughout history as well um yeah you know it, it, don't, it, it almost kind of reminds me of uh holy relics Mm-hmm. used in in catholicism and christianity at least in its early days in which were sort of sold off as props to be bought but mm-hmm. most likely are fakes but you know somebody can spend you know their whole life trying to collect all of these objects to think they're real and in some cases you know maybe it was but probably it wasn't yeah our um th- there's there's that desire to be close to that authenticity which is you know, very much, in, I think, in Western culture associated with the original object. Um, and you do see that, uh, you know, that's that's not a uh, European uh, uh, facet that's unique to Catholicism, but maybe more born out of, you know, that desire to uh, be near the original object. The there There is sort of even I think in the world of science, you still have the the coveting of uh, the, the authenticity of the original. Um, in paleontology, right, right. the uh, original specimen that names a species is called a holotype. And that's I- incredibly important because it is uh, basically the thing that you are trying to gauge everything else that you find from then on out against this original specimen uh you know it doesn't you're you're not guaranteed that this was the prime example of that species but if that's all you have that's how we're going to have to define the species we find so in the case of this species we're looking at in front of us you know this looks i think to the lay person as uh, a pretty standard uh sauropod dinosaur a long-necked dinosaur you know some of the largest animals to ever exist very likely the largest land animals that ever existed uh the blue whale is actually bigger than any uh 
sauropod dinosaur, which I always thought was interesting, that we always think the age of giant animals is over, and yet we live in a world where things like whales, horses, are pretty much the biggest they've ever been. Yeah, it's very yeah. true. It, it's, it, it's, yeah, it's just interesting our own perspectives on that. But what we're talking about here is uh, Makili Mbembe, which is uh, loosely translates to the one who blocks rivers, the one who blocks rivers with their body. And it's purported to live in the Congo of Central Africa. And it's sort of one of these cases where a local legend shared among the indigenous people of the Congo, various tribes, through history. You know, there's a story of, well, my father's grandfather told the story of seeing this creature. And to Europeans that were, uh, you know, hunting big game and exploring uh, Africa in the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, when paleontology was, you know, the the hot new science, you know, uh, one of the hot new sciences, you know, un- un- unfortunately, <laughs> along with eugenics, um, <laughs> yeah, the hot, yeah, you know, the hot off the presses science of Europe. But um, you know, we were beginning to understand prehistory in a way that we hadn't before, and you know, looking for answers, and. I think the the concept of extinction was still fairly new as well. Um, Hmm. You could, there was still this idea that there were remote enough places on Earth that, you know, essentially Europeans, white people hadn't seen before. And, you know, on on the East Coast of the United States, when they sent Lewis and Clark out, based on the fossils of the East Coast, they really had no idea what they were going to find once they went West. There was, because some of the early founding fathers, um, particularly Thomas Jefferson, um, uh, you know, uh, they, they, they were fossil collectors. They were very interested in natural history. It was very much like a gentlemanly thing to do, collect fossils, compare fossils. What a bizarre hobby. Yeah, yeah, it was... <laughs> it was you know it was a rich people uh rich board people thing you know uh so i think the values of it uh in the early days do very much reflect a well-to-do christian you know sort of armchair philosopher of the of the victorian era so lewis and clark there, there was there was like a little bit of a feeling of you guys might go west and find mammoths. Interesting. And giant ground sloths and all of these fossils that they would find on the East Coast, New England area. Um, And there was this concept in that era that these extinct animals that we're just starting to discover, they could still be out there somewhere. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of interesting too if you think about it. I mean, I guess there's nothing to really base your knowledge off of. You know, if you're digging yeah. up bones in particularly shallow soil, and then all of a sudden it's, oh, well, these can exist out there. It's kind mm-hmm. of like the unknown mm-hmm. that sort of leap into the void, if you will. Do you think that this has anything to do with sort of the rise of the occult during this time period at all, especially with like fossil collection? Or is it more or less just like 
something that's happening kind of at the same time um i think you know you're coming out of the romantic era in the 1800s you know there's very much this focus towards nature you know in the mid 1800s you're having this moment of essentially in in a european context the death of god you have basically the birth of contemporary science of modern science where you know whether or not they were a hundred percent right about everything they discovered you have scientists in this era that are questioning their dogma and questioning the, the way people look at the world you know freud for you know again for everything he got wrong <laughs> um <laughs> oh yeah you have someone that says you know, maybe you are, you know, your behavior is not something you totally have control over, you know, that your environment has an impact on you. That is, that that's quite a big leap. You know, e even if you weren't a Calvinist, you know, the idea of like predestination that just people were meant for greatness or people were meant to toil. Right, right. Um, you, you have Darwin come forward with, uh, you know, and, and, the, and these were corroborated things with scientists uh, that would also been, you know, getting so close to an idea of evolution without knowing about DNA yet, looking at rock layers and, you know, trying to think is the world you know only a few thousand years old or how much distance apart are we in time from the formation of the earth and did it happen the way we think it did and then you know you have modern economics coming into uh play as you know as you have you know the writings of Karl marx as you have people that are you know starting to really evaluate their situation in life and how how much we should take it as this is the way it is and this is the way it has always been this is the way that is just so i think those enlightenment era things certainly play a role i don't think this was something of the occult mm -hmm. i think there was a desire to as there is now, I think, too, there was a desire to look at these indigenous populations that Europeans were coming into contact with and trying to make sense of them from a Western scientific perspective. You know, we still sort of do this today. There are, in South America, there is uh, a story of an animal called the Mapinguari, I, I believe that's how you pronounce it, and it very possibly is a story of a ground sloth. Oh. That has, whether or not it's still out there, you know, you're hearing an oral tradition that, you know, probably goes back thousands of years. And you're seeing humans come into contact with an extinct animal that is on its way out. Uh, a, a now extinct animal right but you see this in australia with the bunyip which uh, is very possibly a diprotodon a type of uh, kind of giant wombat like creature you're having these these people come into contact with other people that have you know a monster story they don't think to necessarily always compare it to 
say, their own creation myths or their own monster and dragon myths, but they, they want to know what the origins of these things are. You know, in, in contemporary times, we look at uh, the Protoceratops as a possible origin for the legend of the griffin. You have a, a lion-sized quadruped with a beak. Uh, if, you know, you were to dig that up, you might think, oh, a, a half eagle, half lion. Uh, you know, you, the ancient Greeks digging up a, a mammoth skull. You have a cyclops, because if you'd never seen an elephant before, what would you think of a giant skull that's very round that has a hole in the middle of it? Uh, you know, you don't know that's for a trunk. That's, uh, you know, to, to your eye, it's, it's an eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So Mokili Mbembe, you know, it sort of begins as like one of those types of curiosities. It's one of the tales that big game hunters, quite famous ones, you know, will write in their journals, you know. Today I hunted with the pygmies and they reported that there is some sort of giant animal that might be a Brontosaurus that tears people apart but doesn't eat their bodies. And, you know, it's, it's a, uh, the, the, the connection to dinosaurs is this animal is supposed to have a very long neck and a very long alligator-like tail. It's supposed to be just absolutely enormous. So this, to a European's mind, really conjures the image of a sauropod dinosaur, which, you know, was, was quite a big deal to find an animal that big and that unique-looking. You know, I mean, imagine you dig up, like, a, an ancient you know, giant bison or an ancient mammoth. You know, there, there's kind of analogs we can compare them to today. There's nothing quite like a sauropod dinosaur. There's no other animal that we really think of like that. But in the uh, late 20th, uh, early 21st century, uh, Mokilimumbembe sort of is the realm of two kinds of people. Hardcore cryptozoologists, which... Uh, <laughs> i i was obsessed i was obsessed with when i was growing up oh yeah uh i i wanted to be a cryptozoologist i wanted so bad for there still to be dinosaurs out there and there, there's something really exciting about it isn't it that you go deep enough into the jungles in africa you could find a dinosaur right yeah yeah for sure i mean it's like an indiana jones story but mm -hmm. paleontology exactly exactly so mokili mbembe here also finds itself the center of something very different, creationism. Uh, oh. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it suddenly gets a lot less... <laughs> Not where I thought this was going. It gets a lot less fun. Um, oh. So where this could be kind of a fun thing, which is how I think I encountered it when I was younger, was this was fun daydream a fun thought experiment there's even a, a series of uh kids uh novels about going into the congo and discovering makili mbembe it's called cryptid hunters and it's just fun it's fun to think about you know sounds fun yeah uh, uh, yeah it's, it's a good read and what Makila Mbembe has become is more of uh, evidence of the creationists desperately need of humans and dinosaurs interacting and being in contact with each other, which they will say is the, is the thing that proves creationism, which doesn't really make that much sense. I mean, it makes sense from the point of, you know, 
as far as science can tell, dinosaurs died millions of years ago. Right. And non-avian dinosaurs, I should say, you know, all pretty much went extinct. Most, almost all large species and the only things that, you know, remained uh, in, in that particular clade were modern birds. That... Uh, Right, right. The, the existence of a non-avian, a non-bird-like dinosaur in contemporary times would, according to them, throw off that time scale. The thing is, you know, creationists never go after the Celia camp. Uh, are, are you familiar with the Celio camp? I am not. So, um, well, you should be, because it's a wonderful oh. fish. It is an absolutely wonderful kind of silly looking fish kind of scary looking i but um they they have a very weird habit of swimming upside down and that's it's it's very it, it's i'm quite, sorry what it's quite weird um <laughs> upside down like like their faces facing the bottom of the of the uh, is that just because like they want to like warm their stomachs with the sun or are they just kind of like you know they're like the different fish that wants to be you know well, they are very different from most fishes. They are a type of lobe-finned fish. Um, if you're familiar with, uh, you know, evolution, you've heard the rhetoric that uh, all modern vertebrates are descended from fishes. Yep. Um, but they're not fishes that you would commonly interact with. Something like a salmon or a clownfish, those are spiny ray-finned fishes. Those are not our direct ancestors a more direct ancestor would be a lobe finned fish these are the fishes with fleshy fins that would eventually evolve into legs so i'm not a descendant from a bass is what you're saying no um mm. i'm so sorry Dang. yeah i mean i'm gonna have to sit on that one but it's fine mm -hmm. um yeah uh it's uh it, it's it's a lot to take in you know i'm sure this is shocking for you but uh the Celio Yeah, camp. but we don't have to bore them. <laughs> but, you know, this is a fish that, um, this type of fish purportedly went extinct millions of years ago. It's quite uh, common in the fossil record, and then it disappears. And then very suddenly, quite recently in modern history, one is discovered. And it is quite a big deal. Celiacanths are kind of amazing in that they seem to disappear from the fossil record for a very long time, and then suddenly we find them again. So, you know, there are these remnant populations of these ancient things. However, that does not disprove evolution. It just shows that this group of ancient animals happened to survive in some, in, in some way uh, for longer than we thought, you know, and that is that, right. that, that's the beautiful thing about science is it changes based on new information. You know, science is not made up of literal gatekeepers that, you know, that shun all new information. It's an interesting system of trial and error where, you know, we have to confront our prejudices uh, generation to generation. We have to confront new information that uh, challenges things. Uh, but ultimately making it better. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So so the existence of a dinosaur would not disprove evolution. However, if you're Ken Ham and you like publishing books that, you know, as, as someone that used to work in a bookstore, I got a very good eye for spotting creationist books. They're almost always going to have the word 
truth in the title. It's going to be like... The truth about dinosaurs. Amazing facts about dinosaurs. The real, true, amazing facts about dinosaurs. Like, <laughs> they're, huh. they're trying so hard to trap little kids into, you know, buying books that are, you know, completely bogus showing humans uh, riding on dinosaurs. Like, it's the Flintstones. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, if only. <laughs> but, you know, I still just don't understand. Like, I get it. That sounds great. But at the same time, if they're as, you know, vicious and they hunt and, you know, are not afraid to eat people, I guess the, you know, vegetarian ones would not. But it's like, why would you want to? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I never understood that, I guess. It's, I mean, as great as, like, Dinotopia yeah. and the Flintstones would be, it's very much, to me, always been this question of, like, uh-huh, uh-huh, but Jurassic Park exists, and that didn't exactly work out very well. well the real question characters. of Jurassic Park was, why did they clone the dangerous ones? <laughs> for the thrill, Zan, for the thrill. Then I think you answered your own question. <laughs> I guess I did. So, long story short... There's no evidence of Mofili Mbembe existing. There are documentaries where, you know, someone walks up to uh, a person in the Congo and shows them a picture of a drawing of a uh, long-necked dinosaur and says, what is this? And they're supposedly able to identify it as Mofili Mbembe. This, uh, th this has also been done with modern, you know, wildlife identification manuals and they've also been identifying rhinos as mokele mbembe which uh went locally extinct but you know if you have people that have been living in that area for thousands of years you know it's very possible their ancestors actually saw rhinos uh in a, in a region that no longer has rhinos and you know sure. th this gets compounded with legend and folklore and, you know, just sort of becomes a part of the oral tradition. And oral traditions really go so far back. We don't think about how ancient language is, how we use something that uh, just uses so much of our past all the time and has, you know, almost more influence on what we do and how we act than, you know, things that we read. It's oral history versus written history right right yeah i mean it, it's an interesting thing because it, it, it's almost to how you know myths get passed down and then become almost realized as something that was true mm -hmm. but i think you know as humans we tend to forget that we're just really good at being creative yeah we're storytellers exactly exactly and it's something that's inherent within all of us and you know, there's nothing, I guess, stopping somebody from expanding upon something they saw, whether it was, you know, a rhino back in the time where they were in existence in the Congo, and then ex that keeps getting passed down and changing and changing, and then yeah. you have this totally different creature that, you know, they're trying to prove based on the science that's coming out at the time. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it goes for so many different things. I mean, especially within, you know, Greek myths or, um, you know, Aztec myths, all over the place. I mean, it could be anywhere. There's always going to be kind of different versions of things almost like how dragon myths are yeah very different in the east versus the west you know yeah but at the end of the day they're kind of rooted in something it has to come from somewhere yeah and you know to 
to that extent still today you have people in uh china that will sell dinosaur bones as you know dragon bones and it's uh you know it's it's not as common as it once was but you know there are sources to these things you know people are not completely ignorant of the things around them i think people in the past you know even without all of the information we have today people in the past were still sophisticated um people had nuanced takes on their mythologies and religions and their histories people were seeking to know things within uh you know the, the the cultural world they lived in yeah i mean there's this weird kind of thought or this this um uh there's a there's a weird i guess myth if you will of linear time mm-hmm. right so people we now understand how to use steel and we understand technology and computers and complex mathematics and economics so therefore we did it right like we are the top of civilizations that have ever existed and therefore everything is linear so in the past they didn't understand that so therefore they weren't as good as we are now Mm -hmm. it's not really how it works i mean it's pretty (laughs) much just a huge circle right like to say that the ancient egyptians weren't as developed as we are now because they didn't have steel tools is not really correct I mean, it's like how, the, yeah. you know, you have the pyramids and which always get used as an example that, oh, well, the aliens had to build the pyramids because why else would they build pyramids? Because uh, wh- they why? wanted to. I don't know. I, <laughs> you know? Look, I, all I know is I've never met an alien and I've never built a pyramid. Um, so, I mean, I, I, the, yeah. only, the only way to test your hypothesis is if I met an alien, if I'd want to build a pyramid. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know why. But for some reason, that becomes a huge thing. And I mean, there's tons but Joe, of but Joe, but Joe, 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 rabbits, G.I. Giuseppe. But don't like, man, like all cultures, like all over the world, like build pyramids, you know? <sighs> <laughs> yes. And as my art history professor told me when I was writing a paper on this, it's because people like to build up. Who knew? Hmm. It's almost like uh, gravity kind of favors heavy things that are heavy at the bottom and lighter at the top. Uh, yeah, exactly. Hmm. And it's the thing too that it shows up everywhere, but also everybody kind of has their own spin on it. But at the end of the day, it's that three-level cake of you know base, middle, top. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To get closer to God slash God. I mean, you could even apply this to temples that you find in the jungle you know, that were showing up in Central and South America where people would discover them and kind of being like, how did these end up here? Why are they here? Were they built by some ancient civilization? And then we, you know, people that whose jobs this actually is and who study this for their whole lives go in and start uncovering these past civilizations. You know, oh, these were the Mayans. They created this and they have, you know, they were studying space and they had complex ideas on mathematics and building and figuring out how to actually house people within cities. But even in the past, especially with like anthropology and archaeology that's happening, there's again a misunderstanding of all of this because you're just kind of finding it and trying to wrap your head around it with thoughts at the time. And so you're kind of creating these myths and legends around these certain things. And it's kind of like how our our history books and, and different things that I think everybody's learned in school will kind of tell you the general history of Native Americans in North and South America. 
and they don't really go past that. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll be like, oh, Columbus showed up, you know, he was, like, friends with the Native Americans, and then other explorers came, and then they, you know, went into North America, and then the Spanish went to South America, and the Portuguese went to Brazil, and there's just all this stuff happening, and then now we're here. And there's just so much in that that needs to be kind of explored and, and thought about. Like, hold on, wait a minute, let's talk about the Aztecs, who actually were they? You know, or even yeah. the Mayans for that, because those are always the two that are highlighted. And then it's okay, the Mayans were there, and then they start to fade out, and then the Aztecs are there, and they conquer everybody around them. Oh, and Peru was happening. You know, the Peruvian civilization was flourishing yeah, in South America. Yeah, exactly. And like, what they don't really get into is like, well, the the Incas aren't the first. There's a civilization before them, and then mm-hmm. as well as it leads into the Incas, and they're kind of flourishing and doing their thing yeah. and expanding this huge empire. But even like with the Aztecs, which, who and the Mayans, for instance, too, you know, you have the Olmec people mm-hmm. that come first and way, way before. Yeah. And those are the ones that have the the huge giant heads. Which actually, if we go through this door, we can kind of we can go oh, see oh, what that actually yeah. looks like oh, here. Yeah, uh, I guess. Yeah, right this way, everyone. Uh, Tor's going through this door, I guess. Yeah, mind the bugs. It's still good. We're still gonna be in the jungle. Yeah. Can't get rid of these mosquitoes. So, Joe, I'm I'm looking at a head. Yeah, okay. it's big head. Yeah, so certainly a big head. Now, did aliens put it here? Contrary to popular belief, they did not. Mm. Although we don't necessarily know how they got here, and so what's been classified and, and known as the Olmec heads, who are it's named after the Olmec people and civilization, show up around 1600 BCE to 350 BCE. Mm-hmm. And it's around the time that the um, civilization is thought to have existed, and not much is really known about the culture. They didn't really have a written language except for some glyphs that show up here and there. And all we know is that the Aztecs named them the Olmecs, which roughly translates to rubber people because they sold mm-hmm. rubber. Right. And it's it's sort of thought that they're the ones who possibly started the um, popular game, which I'm blanking on the name uh, right now, that's kind of showing up through... Um, Central the, the, the Mesoamerican rubber ball game. Yeah, it was shown in El Dorado, that very strange DreamWorks movie. <laughs> if, if we can picture that, it was pretty much that's where it's thought to have originated from. But I mean, from the, the, these are, these are the subtleties of you know living in a uh, a society that is uh, the the product of colonization. Is I feel like a lot of the imagery I think of is from road to el dorado uh yeah a a movie made in a western animation style by a western company uh that tells you know a a story that i don't think that anyone thought of as true i don't think anybody's watching it thinking it's a documentary um i hope not (laughs) um but uh you know you're you're that is what i think of as a as a child of the uh, late 90s early 2000s i think of if you say uh you know meso ancient mesoamerican civilization or we're talking about this stuff that image flashes in my mind yeah for sure and i mean like you said it's pop culture it's other misrepresentations or Mm -hmm. either sort of western but then, but then it's even compound what's interesting to me is it's compounded even more because you have this overall uh you know 
destruction of information that comes from European occupation of the New World. But, you know, you're also dealing with an ancient civilization that was already, that had already come and gone by the time that the, the Aztecs were there, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, I mean they were on their way yeah. out. At, at that's, that, that's the kind of crazy thing about ancient history is you have things come and go, and if things didn't get written down, it's just gone. You know, exactly. All those people, entire languages. You know, you want to think about even languages that we still have today that have been around for thousands of years, but those languages, our earliest records of them are still developed. So that means there had to be developed languages before then. There had to be whole cultures that we'll never really know about that predate them. Yeah. The, the this this was a problem when um uh when the epic of Gilgamesh was first you know started w- was first discovered by archaeologists and you know was being translated it was really um for, for people who took the Bible literally it was very challenging to them that it also seemed to have a flood story. In sort of contemporary culture, we think of this as corroboration, right? That it's like, oh, actually, this validates mm-hmm. the biblical flood, right? Because more cultures in the region have a flood story. The problem is the Bible almost seems to be a reference to Gilgamesh. Huh. It's not so much that Gilgamesh borrowed from the Bible. It seems that the ancient Hebrew text is coming from an older text that both of them originate from, very possibly. Yeah, and I mean, that would make sense. Yeah, so, so you know, then imagine, you know, trying to decode these things in a, uh, in a culture that's, uh, in, in contemporary times, you know, uh, you know, there's so many efforts to obliterate it. Right, exactly. Well, there's also sort of this thing, too, where we ignore the past mm-hmm. when it doesn't fit the agenda. Yeah. But also, like, we kind of ignore it because we don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, if you start to trace back history, right, like, you'll be like, okay, well, this civilization's built from this civilization. You know, the Romans come from the Etruscans who come from earlier tribes who come from them, you know, and you keep yeah. going backwards. It, it's plausible there's older civilizations we know nothing about that yeah. existed. And I'll always, I mean, to be honest, I buy into those theories a lot more than I'll buy into alien theories because I'm like, at least it explains the sort of human aspect that are left within these things. And if somebody did build the pyramids who was more advanced, I doubt it. Egyptians built it, but whatever. You know, who did? I mean, they're still most likely human. Yeah. Some sort of humanoid. But but that's that's where the... That's where the element of race, unfortunately, comes in again. Yeah. Where all of these ancient civilizations that people are suggesting, you know, must have had help from aliens in order to survive and build their structures and, you know, have their knowledge, there are almost never uh, European. Exactly. It completely destroys the idea that early Mesoamerican and Native American cultures could possibly do something that spectacular 
or early Egyptian cultures couldn't have possibly built anything because they lived in a desert and they yeah. only had the Nile. I mean, the, yeah, there, there's all sorts of bullshit you hear about uh, Stonehenge, and I'm sure there's some. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's alien theories for Stonehenge. Are, oh, there's a lot. Are there? Oh, there's okay. a lot. You know, I don't feel like I hear those as much as like uh, Easter Island head theories. Yeah. Or uh, South American, you know, aliens visiting, and you know that's why they build all these things, and you know, show people with long heads. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's because they're deemed inferior, mm-hmm. and that's and through history, incapable apology in the past. Exactly. You know, in 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 Western culture, we've developed through technology and the industrial revolution and other things that came pretty quickly. So therefore. In order to do anything advanced, we needed machinery. Yeah. But that's just completely false. I mean, this is the idea of commerce and merchantilism that sort of pops up and, you know, how we can craft our society based on economics. But this yeah. was happening in China way before it was happening in Europe. It was happening in the Middle East way before it was happening in Europe. And, you know, I yeah. think it's sort of time to start deconstructing a Europe kind of vision on the world. And unfortunately, yeah. it's seeped into different... Uh, aspects and unfortunately the ancient aliens one tends to be a harbinger for that yeah especially the, after chariots of the gods i mean the weird thing to me is the expanding contracting expanding again you know the the, the definition of whiteness which did not exist in history until quite recently yeah you know it's you you look at all these places that were you know considered greek or were Greek speaking, had Greek heritage, and you know, you look at modern day, and these are places populated by people that aren't accepted into the privileged sphere of whiteness. You know, it places yep. uh, that we would now consider the Middle East. I mean, Jordan, for instance. You know, definitely so much Hellenistic history going on there, but I think that's exists in people's minds as a middle eastern country it's not necessarily enveloped into the an image of a white greek history and and even and even the sure. and even the greeks you know whether or not they are greeks or italians whether or not they're considered uh white is you know, this is this is such a complicated yeah (laughs) thing to try to unravel you know people's ideas that that uh of what they want the past to look like yeah exactly well i mean let's take greeks for example and and bring Mm -hmm. it back to the olmec heads that we're looking at here yeah so for some reason it's plausible that the ancient greeks could have built massive stone sculptures out of marble right like right intricate sculptures and that was just raw talent but then there's a civilization that's showing up uh definitely before it and an entirely different place of the world and they're making these you know elaborate carvings out of huge boulders and each one has different face shapes to them indicating that it is an individual but based based on a history channel documentary i saw um patagonia is really the ideal landing strip if you are um you know approaching earth uh to land after a long space uh voyage so how do you explain that i i can't i guess (laughs) (laughs) uh i mean you know it's it's one of these things where it's like well it's not what we're talking about but i 
mean, you're not wrong, I guess, but I don't see how this has anything to do with the civilizations that show up there. But go on. I mean, with, with the question of whether or not aliens built these things, which they did not, and whether or not evolution happened, which it did, you know, there's a question of why, why does this matter? Because history right now is, you know, we're, we're in the process of reevaluating our histories and what, what histories do we talk about? And uh, there's some people that just want to ignore it altogether and just walk away with a story that validates how they feel and where they see themselves fitting into the world and fitting into history. And of everything that's going on right now, you know, it's, it's, it's exhausting to think that uh, there's people that, that, that don't think evolution is real. That seems like, or there's, there's people that want to believe that aliens built the pyramids. It, it, it seems like not the most pressing issue in modern day. Like, if you just say it like that, like, you know, some people that uh, wear a lot of turquoise, like, <laughs> um, you know, do, do, do their opinions matter? And I think about this museum in Glendive, Montana, and it's called, like, the Dinosaur Glendive Museum. And if you're driving on the highway, there's, like, one of those brown National Park signs that's pointing to an exit, and it says Glendive History Museum. And what the Glendive Dinosaur Museum did is they built their museum on the same road, so the sign looks like it's pointing to it, uh, so you get off the exit to go to the real history museum, which is free to get into, by the way. Uh, but you drive by what appears to be another uh, equally credible-looking building that has a uh, fiberglass dinosaur head sticking out of the side of it. Oh, that's exciting. You know, you got this T-Rex bursting through the side. And you go in. It's a creationist museum. Oh. Yeah, it's... Uh... What a twist. <laughs> You know, there's a, there's a bit of a, they're, they're trying to trap people into uh, thinking like this. And, you know, what, what does that do to our scientific literacy? Because, you know, maybe whether or not people know when the dinosaurs died out, maybe that doesn't help you in your day-to-day -day life as much. But thinking critically about science does. Right. And thinking critically about history does. I, you know, even something like you're not necessarily familiar with, too. Like, if you come across something that you're not informed on, you know, how, how are we supposed to expect people to approach this critically? How do we both share these bad ideas? Because they're bad ideas. Uh, <laughs> but, how, you know, we don't want to make an idea forbidden. Sure. How do, how do we how do we talk about these things without giving them credibility? That's the problem of putting them in a museum. They're suddenly in the temple of knowledge. They are in the museum. Yeah, I mean, it, it becomes that complex problem, unfortunately, and it's all rooted in discrediting people or ideas or even history itself. And it, I don't know, it, it is an odd fascination, I think, that's kind of shown up recently where it is like, oh, but here's the real truth. Yeah, like you, you see it a lot too, and it's people that really don't have, I guess, the background to be coming from that. And 
might sound a bit aggressive, but at the end of the day, to believe somebody who has no experience in the field, no knowledge of really what they're talking about aside from the internet or books that they read versus somebody who's dedicated their life to a field of study, right? Uh, yeah. It seems very strange to But at the same sort of at the that. same time though, we're living in a we're living in a world where we're watching you know, long-held beliefs about archaeology or anthropology get challenged by the fact that those people that were experts and maybe did care and maybe did do a lot of hard work, uh, you know, they were not without their own uh, prejudices. Uh, there's more of a willingness to want to trust someone with, uh, you know, kind of folksy wisdom to value those words. Uh, like, there was this thing I saw the other day, and it just bugged me, because, like, I knew a lot of people were going to see it, and there was a part of me that got swept up in it, too, because it sounded like a good story. It was a very good story that it, it works almost too well. There was this person talking about how... Uh, are, are you familiar with uh, the Ramayana? The uh the um the sort of epic tale from India. Yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, I mean, I I've never read it, but we went over it in um, a mythologies class I I took in college, and like you know, we we read some passages from it and sort of talked about you know the cultural significance of it. So it's like, again, I have like barely passing familiarity with it. And there's this video where this guy is saying that. Oh yeah, the monkey people in the Ramayana are actually Neanderthals. And the Neanderthals were the monkey people that helped build the bridge between India and Sri Lanka. Uh and uh <laughs> wait. No. <laughs> oh, you're and it was one of those things where you're trying to now now here's a situation where a mythology is having to reckon with history and people want to see their mythologies have some sort of validation because this is not something where they're saying that something necessarily uh you know otherworldly is happening but you know you first of sure. all have this have this thing of uh a, a misunderstanding of where it, where and when neanderthals existed yep um problem one yeah you know a, a you know the ramayana it, it appears as in its written form i i i think in the in the first millennium bc so you know mm -hmm. within i i i think within like six centuries of year zero and neanderthals which by most estimates, you know, go extinct like 30, 40,000 years ago and are yeah. also not in India. No, <laughs> they are not <laughs> at all. Yes. Uh, and then you have the, the, the whole thing of the bridge, uh, which is up for debate as to whether or not it is just a naturally occurring series of stones that seem to go through the shallow water from the tip of India to Sri Lanka. And there is, 
you know, th there's that's sort of a hotly debated topic, whether or not this is an actual structure or this is something geological happening, because there's a lot of geological activity going on in India. But, you know, that is also a country that has, like the United States, a right-wing religious component to it that would like you to see history as a fulfillment of a certain religion. People that, you know, if you look at, like, right-wing Christianity in the United States, uh, that the United States is, you know, supposed to be this, this uh this idea that it's the manifestation of uh christian ideals and that this is what the bible meant like like look at like the knights of columbus that mm. uphold columbus as you know this exemplary catholic individual but also want to incorporate italians into the story of the founding of america and Christopher Columbus wasn't even in North America. Like, he was he, no. he was in the Caribbean and parts of South America. You know, Columbus didn't... Columbus didn't land in Washington, D.C. Are you sure? <laughs> you know what? It's history. I can't be 100% sure. And that's the frustrating thing about history. You're looking through a fog all the time. It's It's wandering through a jungle and finding a giant head or a fully mounted dinosaur skeleton and the you have to make your own connections and you have to extrapolate like i was just reading a thing about how columbus could be a possible secret jew and i'm sorry what yeah that like columbus part of there's so many conspiracy theories about columbus um and that he was oh he you know because like what it, it's generally accepted he was italian working for the spanish yeah that's kind yeah. of yeah uh but you know there's a lot of other people that suggest oh no he was actually secretly super well connected to the monarchs of europe he was he changed his name um he was actually the descendant of so-and-so he actually had all of these connections and he was actually going to america he knew where he was going. He had access to all this secret information, right? And that's how he got out there. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> huh. Let's unpack that. I mean, look, look. Columbus already is the 1400s equivalent of Jeffrey Epstein, you know? The guy just wanted to go out, get an island, and, you know have sex with minors like is is already this this terrible person yeah. the you know I, I i can just say as as a jew we don't want him uh <laughs> you know we don't need we don't need another jeffrey epstein bad for the brand you know yeah but all all of these people all of these historical ethnic groups and stuff like there was a period of time where a lot of different people in America wanted that ethnic connection to Columbus, whether he was a secret Sephardic Jew or he was Italian or actually he was Portuguese. Actually, he was secretly Spanish all along. Oh, haha, he was French. Like there, there was, you know, such a desire to be a part of the American story, a part of that, uh, that, that Providence. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's even, you know, speaking as an Italian who wants nothing to do with Christopher Columbus. Joe, it's... you're Joe, you're actually here in this exhibit today to answer for all of the crimes of the Italians. We'll start with um, Julius Caesar, uh, Columbus, uh, Napoleon, and then uh, all Gucci products. Oh, God, guilty on all accounts. Yeah. Jeez. You know, I actually, but... actually spe speaking of... Uh, of uh the sardanians uh your people uh people, yes yes uh there is actually a theory that columbus was sardanian in fact wow okay yeah doubt but you know <laughs> <laughs> well see the thing the thing with columbus is he's from genoa mm -hmm. and he's sort of a wannabe explorer kind of venture capitalist if you will even though it's not a thing yet self-made man and pulled himself up by his bootstraps the american ideal pull, pulled himself up by his bootstraps but other people were pulling his bootstraps kind of a thing you know right? he like, did that was joe him. he did the american thing he asked some of the richest monarchs in europe to fund an expedition multiple times they got annoyed and then gave it to him. Well, yeah, because it was cheap to do that instead <laughs> of have him around. You know, Isabella was pretty much like, fine, I'll give you three bad ships. Go die in a hole. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the whole point. They, they didn't expect him to come back. It wasn't really like, oh, yeah, he's going to go to India. We're going to set up this whole trade route. Nah. And there's also, like, possible evidence that they had an understanding that that wasn't going to lead to India. You know, whether it's fact or not. Well, it's still yeah, because Columbus had a notoriously bad, uh, you know, he, he did a bad calculation of the circum, uh, circumference of the Earth. Right. Uh, which placed uh, Japan really close to Europe. Even yeah, though, you know, not... the ancient Greeks figured out pretty close how big <laughs> the Earth was. Uh, yeah, exactly. So... But I, I mean, again, this is like, how do you, how do you teach people about Columbus? Because he is a significant figure and he, you know, pretty much single-handedly begins the uh, uh, Atlantic slave trade. Yeah. You know, really like, really started it off great there, you know, just what the fuck? Well, um, yeah. And but this is part of the story of why we're here you know we're standing here in the aftermath of the apocalypse of two continents worth of people whose histories whose uh many of whose languages uh are are for the most part eradicated the the populations decimated um the 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 remaining people either subjugated or assimilated or worse but it it does it 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 goes back to that how do we how do we talk about that i i think i've really went into the first time i went into columbus i think was in spanish class in uh elementary school uh huh you know what that documentary is also now that i this is a revelation I'm just now having. That documentary is also why I thought it was the the, the polite way to refer to Asian people was Oriental. Oof. It, well, the, there was this guy doing a documentary, and he's like, Yeah. Now Columbus found 
he might have been speaking Spanish, but for some reason I remember him. Like, <laughs> he might have been English or something. I don't know. Now Columbus found these uh, two flat-faced bodies washed up. They might have been Eskimos, but to Columbus they looked like Orientals. Like Oof. again, <laughs> like that 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 sentence is burned into my mind. Uh, yeah, not a good one to have. Yeah, but... but you know that was that was, you know that that wasn't a weird documentary from the '60s. It was a little dated, I think, when I saw it. But you know sure. that was just that was just something we were watching in Spanish class, like to talk about the history of Spain. Yeah, I mean, but it's it's the thing is you kind of have to. Mm-hmm. Like we we discussed this on a lot of my history classes, especially my advanced ones, where it was, you know. At the time, I I kind of discovered, as well as my classmates, like how awful Columbus was. Yeah. And there's sort of this edge to like, you want to get rid of him, right? You're like, mm-hmm. he couldn't have been the one to do this. This is all a lie. Everything that we were taught in elementary and middle school was basically false. So what's real? So, you know, you, you're quick to jump on the idea like, oh, well, the Vikings were actually the first people to discover North America. Well, actually, it was the Templars who were right after that. And then they're the ones who discovered North America. And you're like, OK, yeah, I can get on this. You or know, was Vikings it secret Jew Columbus? You know, that too, I guess, but probably not. <laughs> but, you know, it's 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 one of those things where you're so like, OK, yeah, it has to be one of them. And. Yeah, they did, probably. I mean, we definitely have evidence for the Vikings, the Templar, it's up for debate. Mm-hmm. But they didn't tell anybody. So therefore, it kind of doesn't matter, unfortunately, right? So, yeah. you know, you're you're left with Columbus set sail and discovered Hispaniola and enslaved and murdered an entire population, mm-hmm. which then inspired the Age of Exploration to come and go massacre entire populations and ethnic groups which then led to the slave trade, which then goes into colonization and, you know, imperialism. And unfortunately, that is our history, and it's something we have to kind of recognize. But it doesn't mean we have to paint this false narrative, false picture of Columbus was an Italian icon, and he actually was a good person and a secret Jew. Like, no, we don't have to, we don't have to play that game. You know, we could just, we, unfortunately, it's something we have to accept, but yeah, I mean, there, there's probably from. a theory that, like, he was secretly Irish or something, like, you know. Yeah, for just, sure. Just any, any, and anything they could kind of, it's, but it, in a way, there is sort of still the fun of this, of that exploration of, you know, there's something, there's always something more to be discovered with history. You know, it's it's not that far removed from, you know, just saying aliens did it all that aliens built Stonehenge, Um, that, you know, people in the past, everyone was unsophisticated, uh, that, you know, people took things at face value. Like, you know, you really look at medieval history, like medieval European history, it's like you have people with complex ideas about politics and religion. You go back thousands of years, you have people writing things that, uh, about the Bible, even that I think you would consider romantic, sublime, like things that we associate with the Age of Enlightenment. People looking at ancient uh, scripture and text and wanting to, you know, take things metaphorically. It's really a, a modern desire to be literal with everything. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, and like, yeah, it, and I mean, and herein lies, you know, our problem of now suddenly we're a very literalist society as we, as the current trend. And here we have statues of an enslaving child rapist slaver in major cities across our country in, in a country that philosophically uh religiously and geographically does not seem to have very much to do with columbus aside from you know the eradication of an indigenous people yeah i mean that's kind of the bu the bizarreness of it all right mm -hmm. where you you have these sort of statue glorification monuments mm -hmm. this is something that it, you really don't have it yeah you don't have any tangible attachment to it's oh that's the founder of this place but if we had kind statues of. of aliens in place of columbus now there's a theory yeah i mean i could probably solve it yeah yeah <laughs> uh yeah well okay i mean who, who's I mean, this this has to be a topic, like for for like up north, like who's 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 your pick for you know, the the pinnacle of Italian pride, for like for like an you know an, uh, an actual American Italian, ooh. you know, because you guys, Ugh. let's face it, you've had a bad rap with Amerigo Vespucci and Christopher Columbus. I mean, yeah, you know, unfortunately, Bruce Springsteen's last name is Dutch, yeah. even though he is Italian. I'd have to say it's Rocky. Oh. Like, up north specifically. It's not even Sylvester Stallone. It's Rocky for some reason. Is Rocky canonically uh, Italian? Yes. Is Balboa an Italian last name? I don't know. Balboa. But he is Italian because he is the Balboa. Italian. <laughs> Rocky. Which it's, it's weird because, like, you know, in Philadelphia, you have the Rocky statue, and that's a tourist attraction. Yeah, a movie that exists, but that's but, a, I think but that's an almost like that's an almost better mythological connection. You know, nobody's out. I mean, nobody's out. It, I mean, there's probably somebody, but like, I don't think anybody is. Uh, you know, splashing blood on the statue of Rocky. As, no, as I mean, if we have to pick, yeah, uh, you know, maybe not as much blood as the Columbus statue. Maybe on his face when he got punched. Oh yeah, you know, in, that, in that in that movie, you know, that yeah, I've seen one of. But yeah, I mean, if we had to take a a pick on if I, you know, for the Italian American vote in Philadelphia, whether to have Columbus or fictional character Rocky Balboa, I'm gonna pick Rocky. And I imagine most of Philadelphia, would, well, maybe not most, but you know, conscientious <laughs> people would. You know, this is the real difficulty. We can't speak for everyone. You know. That's true. You can't. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, I think the moments pass. For, for all, for all we know, you know, Frank Sinatra could have killed JFK. So you can't, you know, you can't put statues of him up everywhere. And plus, that's more, that's more for New York and New Jersey to really, you know, yeah, because because they're always going to fight over ownership of Sinatra. Yes, this is this is very true. Yeah. To, to look at all of this stuff and 
you want to put context to it. You're, you know, looking through the Bible and you see the stories of the behemoth and that, you know, description is to a modern ear sounds like a dinosaur, you know, uh, just as a lot of uh, mythological creatures sound like descriptions of dinosaurs, you know, we want to see those things. We want to, you know, find find the, the truth, the ancient wisdom, you know, very, very romantic ideals. And it's, you know, it's, it, it's wanting to make sense of the now. It's how, how did we get here, you know, with a very complex world, it feels like. And you have a lot of different people telling you very different things. And, you know, sometimes presented as equally valid opinions as to, you know, was ancient Egypt, you know, uh, in, in our modern uh, idea of black or white, were the ancient Egyptians in contact with aliens? Uh, was ancient Egypt in contact with North America? You know, these are all things that are, uh, you know, unfortunately presented to us and we, we have to sift through. We have to make critical decisions as to who we're going to listen to. Yeah, exactly. And also not, you know, not discredit entire yeah. civilizations yeah. due to the fact that our technology doesn't fit theirs. Yeah. You know? And I, and I think that's sort of another kind of aspect of it, too, where you when you come from things or you're looking back in history from the lens of today, yeah, it's going to be a lot harder to even understand it because it's completely different. And we're mm -hmm. only looking at it from, you know, out of a infinite numbered page textbook, you're getting maybe three pages of information yeah. on certain civilizations, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not a lot to go off of. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to make those critical choices. And, and I think, too, it's also important to look back at who was reporting on it and make sure that it wasn't necessarily just filled in the blanks. Yeah. You know, as people have done throughout mm -hmm. history when they're reporting on other civilizations. And, I, yeah, I think it's an important thing now, especially, to really focus on and, and try to critically think and understand, okay, you know, did these civilizations do this? And how many were before them? And who was actually creating these things? And, you know... Yeah. why and how but also not necessarily being like oh well they couldn't have done that because they had bronze instead of steel mm -hmm. and they didn't have a power crane you know and it's yeah it's, it's kind of wild to me that that's what's important even though cathedrals were built by hand yeah cathedrals were built without concrete exactly you know and concrete came before it you know the romans were had technology that was well more advanced than we came into or at least western civilization approached until what the 1900s yeah you know yeah things like you know things like plumbing and uh uh cement you know yeah. are had, had to be reinvented and you have to wonder how many times were they reinvented you know we can exactly we, we can pinpoint you know the the fall of the roman empire as you know this this uh you know, all of this information being lost, how, how many times could that have happened? And in the span of history, quite a few times, you know, our foggy, 
our foggy lens of history is is limited to really the last few thousand years like that's you know about the range that you know we know people's names we know uh the the, the big some of the very big artists um you know some of the writers you know we can go back um but that's stuff that's written down you go to uh certain indigenous populations they also have that but it's all oral traditions which again has the pros and cons uh, against written language you know oral tradition doesn't burn up in a fire if your library burns down and, right you know and and can and can live on but then uh you know if if the the last person that knows a piece of information you know kicks the bucket uh then you know then you forget how to make sea silk or uh yeah <laughs> you forget how to make a certain type of cheese or you know the the knowledge for uh for, for sailing to a certain island is gone uh in, in in the case of a lot of polynesian cultures you know certain methods of navigation and boat building just completely disappeared for sure and then you know and then we come upon it later and we're like how are there all these people speaking a related language across uh you know hundreds of miles of open ocean right yeah no it is it is pretty wild when you start to think about that and also I guess really sit and question like, you know, somebody could have invented cheese before cheese was even reinvented, mm -hmm. right? Or like we could have had concrete even before the Romans. Yeah. Who knows? And that's, uh, it's it's incredible to me that that possibility, too, and how incredible human beings are, really, and yeah. how well we adapt and how creative and inspiring you can't you can't you know, help but people. feel emotions when you talk about it when you think about ancient peoples you know still having the human desire to create and discover and that that seems to be a pretty universal thing and across the world across all cultures that you know people were discovering different ways to make food to make music to uh define themselves and you know maybe it's the the, the modern homogeny of it all the, of you know a, a globalized world where you know we're feeling a need for everyone to assimilate and to you know get with a certain picture maybe that conformity is part of our our, our sort of like our little bit of desire to just to always keep uh, rejecting, you know, maybe history that we think is too mundane, you know, mm. because because there, there's so many people that, you know, approach history from a nationalistic point of view that, for sure, uh, you know, it was the Greeks who did it all. It was the Chinese that did it all. It was the Japanese that did it all. It was the Indians that did it all that were the the birth of what someone would see as like proper uh enlightened civilization and really you're seeing it independently show up in all these different places all across the world exactly it fits into certain people's nationalistic ideals 
you know, nationality is sort of a, whether it is like the sort of global Christian ideal that sort of, you know, creationists would put forward or the, the, cons the more conspiracy minded worldview of, you know, people that want to see aliens and, you know, secret mystic societies, you know, it's all, it's all kind of, uh, sides of the same coin. It's people who can't appreciate the, the beauty and the, just the wonderful things that, uh, that humans have done. And it, you know, exposes a lot of uncomfortable stuff. It's uncomfortable to sit down and, you know, really look at what it means to be, what, what it means that I, that I, I live where I live you know, that I, that I live in a, on stolen land. Uh, and I, I try to think about it every day, but you know, it's not my every occupying thought and it kind of can't be. So we have to find a new way to talk about history and to talk about all these things because there seems to be something wrong that, that people, people still get very passionate. They get very angry about, you know, what are, what, we're going to forget history if we tear down all these statues of Columbus, which I never hear people talk about Columbus. Nobody gives a shit about Columbus Day. You know, there's like... <laughs> no. There's like a handful of people in the Knights of Columbus, you know, that maybe care. Uh, I, don't, I don't know anyone that... I, I don't think of these these people of a certain generation that are like as you know columbus fans and then suddenly you talk about tearing down the monument and it's like we're, we we got to we got to preserve history and it's like you know there's a lot of shitty people we remember without statues of them everywhere one one thing i saw the other day which is like and again i i hate i hate comparing you know genocides <laughs> it's i really it's it's i find it very distasteful most of the time but you know somebody posted something to the effect of you know i remember who hitler is without having statues of hitler and you know that that spoke to me in in a lot of ways and solidified you know plenty of feelings i have about that there there was some talk in bozeman a while ago to have a holocaust museum and there was some talk about you know I, I don't know how official it ever got or you know how far along that project has gotten but incorporating in the you know the genocide of the sioux uh in with that mm. you know talking about the holocaust uh, and then also talking about uh, the eradication of uh, the Native Americans in uh, the Plains Indians. And uh, right. I, I know people that that would... I, I have, you know, my, my dad, who is Jewish, who I, I, I remember mentioning that to him, and I thought, oh, what a cool idea. And then I hear my dad, and he's just, you know, so not into that. You know that he he doesn't like that connection being drawn you know there's there's some 
desire to remember certain people a certain way and others not. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems also a bit mm, uncomfortable. Like, there's something off about blending two different but similar issues yeah. into one thing mm-hmm. in the middle of the Western America. Yeah. Western America, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that. that's always... I don't know, but it, it brings up a lot of questions, and it does bring up a lot of... Yeah, how, how do uh, we... Emotional responses. Yeah. Because Robert E. Lee is a lot of things, but I don't think of him as Hitler. No, 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 no. You know, and I say this as someone who I I, I feel like I shouldn't have to say that, you know, fuck the Confederacy, but I'll preface this by saying that. I dare say Robert E. Lee was a little more nuanced than Hitler. I'll just say Uh, that. Yeah. You know, you want to talk about people that believed in wacky history, like... If you were really deep into, like, Nazi mythology, that means you, like, also believed in Lemuria and Atlantis. Like, Mm. you believed in mythical continents that probably didn't exist. Actually, definitely didn't exist. What am I saying? (laughs) (laughs) And also, you know, bent into a sort of Germanic viewpoint. Yeah. Appeal to people because it's not even following said original text. It's a complete yeah. blend. But you know, well, the thing that's about, a whole different rabbit hole. The thing about Lemuria is that it was born again out of kind of a scientific idea, you know, before continental drift was understood. You know, there was you know, people who were genuinely like confused, like about how you were finding the fossils of similar animals in different parts of the world. There was no mechanism to do that. So, you know, why do you find lemur skeletons in uh, Africa and Madagascar? And then how do you find it in India where there Mm. are no living lemurs? And they floated the idea, oh, well, maybe there was a land bridge between Africa and Asia. And they, this guy called it Lemuria, you know, just a, huh. a whole land bridge of lemurs. What a paradise. And, you know, that was disproven once we understood that, you know, India was once a part of Gondwana, broke away, smashed into Asia, created the Himalayan mountains. But, you know, that's a, that's a big jump in historical and geological understanding. <laughs> So, you know, and then that was disproven, but then people that were really into the occult latched on to the idea of Lemuria. And there's some people that say Lemuria existed actually in the Pacific, not the Indian Ocean, which... Oh, man. But they'll still say Lemuria came from scientific theories, but those came from disproven scientific theories. Exactly. It's, again, going back to this, this problem of science of, you know, you float an idea and... Maybe the evidence at the time supports it, but, you know, it's it's as ripe for going under scrutiny as anything else. Absolutely. I would say it, it, it definitely is, and just like, you know, all the creationist theories and ancient alien theories and other things that is, you know, that are pulling from different aspects of history and science, whether it be proven or disproven, most often the latter, you know, it's... Mm-hmm. Again, it's trying to 
create something fictionalized and discredit others. Yeah, but I think if I, anything, I, I think I think a lot of the time it's it seems like perfect. It's very even though you know these involve like very complex conspiracy theories. I think it very much sure. simplifies things. You know. Yeah. Like if you listen to Alex Jones go on a rant, and he'll you know bring together all of these uh things in a very interesting way about aliens and nazis and uh you know globalist conspiracy and all this stuff and then he arrives at a point where he's like well yeah you know asians are like telepathic when they go into battle uh, oh and uh you know, maybe he did cite a couple of real historical things on the way there, but, like, it all fits into a worldview, and it fits into his view of history. It's, you know, yeah. the, the the very romantic idea of, like, a people as a race, you know, as the struggle of races against each other in history. That, you know, that it sounds like, you know like a sci-fi fantasy novel or something to that effect where, you know, the, there's these different right. races and they're the ones, you know, just all fighting for control for the power and all that stuff. Yeah. I, I again, it sort of fits that sci-fi narrative. Yeah. It, it's, it's kind like of, it's nerdy. It's, I, yeah. I, I hesitate to use the word fun. It's definitely not. I don't, fun, I don't I find Alex about. Jones fun. I find him terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sort of finding it's yeah. Same. I find it's, I'm it's fine. any enjoyment he brings me is I don't know like the fascination of like you know googling how big is the Pacific garbage patch you know <laughs> yeah you're like well it's like I want to keep an eye on this how crazy is it getting yeah. I hate that well, it's, it's out there but I want to keep an eye on it. Yeah, it's like a you know, it's like a car burning. You can't help but look at it when you, whatever that expression. Well, Joe, is. I want to know where the burning car is. You know, because eventually it's going to roll into something bigger, and more stuff is going to catch on fire. Exactly. So let's just know where the burning car is. That's probably a good idea yeah. because wind currents. Mm -hmm. But I think that wraps up our tour pretty well of this yeah thank you all for topic. you know staying with us on the tour um we are selling aloe in the gift shop for any of your bug bites yes please and be sure to stop by again mm -hmm. well uh yeah i believe that does it for us i've been zan peters and i've been joe Semino. and we'll see you next time at the uncanny county museum bye